Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we also have this printed in your worship guide, if you've grabbed one of those. And the scripture passage upon which uh, the sermon will be based is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these, this time. Thank you for these words. Lord, I recognize, though, that as we come and uh, sit under these words, as we have uh, come to this time uh, and sit, been in this place, I recognize that we come from all kinds of different places. Some of us come here and we are full of hope and expectation. Others of us are here and we're full of dread and worry and anxiety and fear. Lord, some of us are here uh, and our bodies are functioning uh, in, in a way of peak performance. Others of us are here and we bear all kinds of suffering, dysfunction, and sickness, and illness, and pain, uh, and weariness. And Lord, I recognize further that some of us are here believing in you with a strong faith. Others of us are here with no faith at all. Some of us are here uh, stuck in the middle, not sure what to believe, not sure what's real. I pray, Lord, that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here in joy or in sorrow, whether we are here uh, thriving or in deep pain, I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all come ultimately the same, an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Oh, God, I pray that you would open our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things in this passage this morning that we would behold Christ himself. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. I have, I have been mocked so many times for starting out a sermon saying that I'm going to preach a sermonette and then not delivering on it. So I am not going to say that anymore. I'm going to preach a really long sermon. Y'all are going to be here for four hours. And hopefully I don't do that. But we'll see. But you never know. So... This uh, is a special day in the life of our church. We're going to be uh, giving ordination to our three officers elect, to Ryan Estes, to Jeff Rosinski, and to Josh Williams. And uh, 
as I was thinking through what I want to say, this sermon is really addressed towards these men and their families. With all y'all having the opportunity to listen in, I, I will make some application to you as well. So I hope that it's helpful. Uh, but this is a bit extraordinary, as this is really uh, this is aimed at honoring and exhorting uh, our officers elect. So I hope that it's helpful to you wherever you are on your spiritual journey. I do intend for it to be, but it is a little bit different this morning. One of the questions that this passage raises for us, uh, and one of the questions that's probably been going through uh, the minds of our officers elect uh, and any who has served in this office is, why in the world would anyone want to do this? Right? And I ask you, why would, why, have you ever wondered why would Ryan, Jeff, and Josh want to give up? They've been in, in uh, this process for over a year's time. Why would they want to give up a year of their life to prepare to give away another three years of their lives in ways that are costly? Why would anyone want to do that? It reminds me of when we were starting the church. Uh, I, I've told this story before, but in case you haven't heard it, you know, I was desperate to network with people, and so I attended the business networking breakfast, if any of you have ever attended that. It's, it's a cool opportunity to go and to work on your sales pitch. And um, I just never forget getting up and giving my, you know, folks were giving their sales pitch for their real estate business and their, you know, gym business and all these kinds of things. And I get up, and it's my turn to practice and to be critiqued. And I said, hi, my name's Darren, and I'm starting a church and I want to invite you to give away your lives without any compensation at all. But I think that if you do that, it'll be the best life that you can live. And I just looked very, it was the, one of this like Michael Scott awkward moments, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know what it's like to be a woman, he says. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I looked out and it's just the awkwardness of the room was so thick. But I think back to that and I really... I really don't, as I read this passage, uh, it really doesn't change a whole lot, right? Here you have, you have folks who are, who are volunteering to give away their lives for you, right? And, you know, I did not appreciate before I was ordained what all that would entail and what it would mean. Now, in the case of a pastor, you know, we get a salary, we get benefits, we get health insurance, we get, you know, all these kinds of, you know, parts that come with a job. Not the case for uh, ruling elders and deacons, right? There is no compensation financially, uh, in our tradition at least. Um, so it's even more pronounced in the case of these men as they come forward to lay down their lives. One of the questions I'm asking is why in the world would anyone want to do that? And why should they want to do it? And what can we learn from that? So I want to try to answer that question for us this morning. And secondly, what I want to do is I want to help these men and their families, by the way, be successful in that service, right? So my goal is to answer the question, why in the world would anyone want to give away their lives in such a ministry such as this? And then secondly, how is it that you, Ryan, Josh, Jeff, but then all of all of all y'all can be successful uh, in serving in Christ's church? So that's really the two questions that I want to raise for us this morning. Uh, the passage is, does not sugarcoat uh, in any way what we're talking about. So I didn't print it, but the, the, the verse right before this text, uh, chapter 4, verse 19, says these words. It says, therefore, let those who suffer 
according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Right? Let those who suffer according to God's will, that's, you know, you're, you're obeying God, and, and the cost is suffering, right? That's what, that's what he's talking about. You're obeying God, and as a result of your obedience, you end up suffering. You end up losing reputation. You might end up incurring a, a loss financially. You might lose friends. You might lose a job in some cases, right? There's ways that you are losing out because you have decided to obey God. And what Peter says is that if you find yourself in that position, what you need to do is you need to entrust yourself to God's care. And then right off of that, he uses this word so, right, or therefore, or consequentially, now let me exhort the elders among you. And and we're going to include deacons in this exhortation as well. And so Peter is not he does not have a, a rose-colored view of what it means to serve in this respect, right? So Peter would event, will eventually lose his own life as a result of his service of Jesus Christ, right? That will be the cost for him. So he in no way, uh, he in no way has a rose-colored view of what this looks like, but nonetheless, he gives us this exhortation, and I'm, I'm attempting to relay it to you here as well. Now, uh, how is, what, I'm going to save the last, the first question for last, and we'll take the, this, the second question first. How is it that you can be successful in this ministry, and then we'll address at the end, why in the world would you want to do it? So, take it in reverse order, because it's, it's kind of, to some degree, the way that he takes it here in the passage. So, Peter has no rose-colored view of the cost involved, and he's going to give us an exhortation that will enable us to be successful in serving others in a spiritual context in a way that will allow us to be successful. So, how does he do that? Well, uh, the first way that he does that is he talks about our posture towards one another, right? Our posture towards one another. And I want to point you to verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, an office of service, and the office of elder and deacon are ones where you have authority. That's why, you know, we call them offices, because these men, you've elected these men to have authority over your lives, right? When you're approaching the elders and you're, you're wondering, you know, should I, is, is God going to allow me to proceed, for example, with a divorce, we've had folks come to us with that question before. These are the most significant questions people face, right, as folks have been in some of those awful situations. You've elected, right, you've elected Ryan in this instance to have authority to exercise a vote on the session to say, we believe, we believe this is against God's will or we believe that God approves in these tough cases, right? And by the way, whenever we do our membership interview, people like to ask me the hardest questions about this topic. Like, well, what if this happens, right? What if that happens? And I say, well, you've elected elders to wrestle over these questions, and we'll let you know at the time, right? We don't, we don't decide ahead of time. Um, but this is an office of, of authority, but yet the way to succeed in authority he says, is to embrace a, an identity of that of a servant, 
right? He says to clothe yourselves with humility, right? To say that my very identity is going to be rooted in my calling by God to serve you. And I'll tell you, friends, that I find great comfort in this, right? I find great comfort uh, in, in accepting this, and I want to just commend this uh, for you this morning, right? Our, our culture does not like, does not embrace this idea very much, right? That if, if you're embarrassed, for example, right, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to call out the other person, and you're supposed to, to one-up them, and you're supposed to overpower them logically and with your abilities and, and with a great comeback, but yet the Scripture says, no, instead, actually what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to embrace the posture of humility. You're to embrace the role of a servant. It's supposed to be your very identity because when we act in contradiction to that, when we take on a different posture, when we take on a posture of pride, when we take on a posture of arrogance, when we take a posture of self-importance, when we do that, we act in opposition to God. That is the very, that's what he says, right? You should clothe yourselves with humility because when you don't, he says, God opposes you, right? The metaphor that, that I have appreciated is, you know, when we were raising our, our two, for, our first two kids in New York City, you know, when you raise kids in this city, what's the most important thing about raising a kid in this city? Does anyone know? It's to keep them from getting run over, right? The most important thing of raising a kid in the city is to help them not be run over by a limousine or by a truck, or by the garbage truck, for example, right? You're always on guard to say, does a kid have proper fear of moving vehicles? Because if they don't, we're going to be having a funeral, and we don't want to do that, right? And the reason is because when you c come into contact with an overwhelming force, right, you end up, you end up having a fatality, right? You end up being destroyed, and friends, I want to help you appreciate, right, as I think about, you know, what would it be like to meet the opposing force of a Mack truck, for example, right? It's a terrifying thought, but the passage says that when you act in, hum in arrogance, when you reject the posture of a servant, when you're in a conflict with another person and you reject the posture of humility, that you are being opposed not by a Mack truck, not by a sanitation truck, Right? Not, not by any of these things that cause parents in the cities to be absolutely terrified, right? You're being opposed by God himself, that God is against you, that he opposes you. And so the, one of the first exhortations I want to give, and by the way, these are not, this is not exhaustive from this passage. I had to pick and choose for sake of time um, in order to fit into my four-hour goal. Um, but these are the ones that I did pick. He says, in order to be successful in this calling, you have to embrace the posture of a servant. You have to see yourself as called to serve those under your charge. And the church right now is filled with scandals of uh, church leaders who have rejected this, quite frankly. Right? We are in a day and time with the internet and with uh, you know, the, the way that things are going, that there's just leader after leader after leader is being revealed is rejecting this posture and either abusing the people under their charge, right, taking advantage of them, or domineering, which is also mentioned earlier in the passage. So uh, the very first part of serving, and, and this is another exhortation for all of you, right, if you want to serve in, in any capacity whatsoever, right, and I've seen this happen. I've seen folks say, yeah, I want to serve. It's going to be great. And then they show up, and they're like, well, no one's here to help me. 
Do I have to serve by myself? Do I have to, you know, do, am, I the, what, am I just called to just do everything for everyone? And the answer is typically, yeah, pretty much, right? That's what you're signing up for. You're signing up to serve. And a lot of times folks say, I want to serve, I want to serve, I want to serve. And then when it actually comes time to lay down your pride, to lay down your expectations and to say, I'm going to adopt the posture of a servant, they're like, wait a second, why am I doing this? And the answer is, well, you, you filled out a, a form that said you want to serve, right? You, you will be tested. Where, where is Jeff? There's, where's Jeff? There he is. Jeff, you will be, te- Jeff, <laughs> you will be tested, okay? Right? Um, right? Josh, you will be called to serve in ways that require you to give up uh, your pride. That is a part of this office, and all of you uh, as you serve in Christ's church, that will likewise be the case. So that's the first thing, is that you have to adopt the proper posture of serving. The second thing you have to do uh, is that you have to believe in prayer. Okay, if you're going to be successful in any kind of spiritual service whatsoever, the first thing is you have to embrace the posture of a servant. The second thing is, is that you have to actually genuinely believe in prayer. And I say this because uh, it would shock you uh, to, to find out how many Christian people don't generally pray. And, and what I would say is uh, their practice of praying represents an unbelief in the area of prayer. But I would draw your attention to verse 7, where right after you know, he says to adopt this posture of a servant, he says, you must cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I'll tell you, friends, that, you know, I didn't appreciate this when I uh, was ordained going on about 10 years ago now, right, that when you enter ordained service, Ryan, Jeff, Josh, right, when, you, when those hands lay on you, I'll never forget when I was, um, I was uh, in a church and considering taking on the office of elder, and I sat down with someone and he said, you know, the moment the hands are laid on you, you feel a weight unlike anything you've ever felt ever before. And then he said, you know, when I came off session, he's like, the weight was lifted, right? That there is a spiritual weight to this office, and the, and the only way that you succeed is if you take the burdens that you hear about and you turn them in to prayer. And I want to tell you, just for all of you, right, I, I have actually experienced this quite a few times in my travels in this church, right, where, I, where I'll talk with you, many of you, and, and you'll say, look, I am so burdened by what I'm hearing, I'm so burdened by what I'm experiencing. And it's, I always say the same thing, which is that when God allows you to, to carry a burden, right, whether you're walking with a friend through a hard time or whether you've, as a part of your, uh, your ministry to others, you've been brought into a situation of great brokenness, if God has called you to do that, He has called you to do that so that you turn it over to Him in prayer. And I, I see not, not too infrequently, folks hearing about burdens, not adopting a ministry of intercession, and what ends up happening is those burdens end up crushing you, right? So if you're here, you're carrying a burden today, and you're saying, it's crushing me, chances are high that you are not bringing that to Christ, laying it on his feet in prayer in the way that you should, right? That when we hear burdens, when we walk with folks and we experience the brokenness of this world, when we are given the, the privilege to, to enter in the folks' darkest times, 
right? The reason we are there is so that we can bring those things to Jesus Christ in prayer so that we can speak words of grace and truth so that we can bring some degree of his healing presence, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of him. And if you don't do that, if you only hear the burdens and then you, you know, you simply worry about them, that's one option that I see a lot. What's the second option that's even worse, right? What's the second option when you hear burdens and you don't pray about them, you just worry about them? There's a second, more destructive option. You know what that is? You try to fix them in your own power. Oh, that's a good one. That's one that I've seen a lot, right? I'll see, I'll see folks come in and they're just, you know, especially these young pastors, they're so energetic and they are like, you know, I've got four years of seminary. I spent $65,000, you know, that will be paid off in about 10 years. And I can tell you, you know, I can tell you all of the books of the Bible if I think really hard and you're going to come to me after 12 years of a broken marriage, of conflict, of miscommunication, of, of external suffering, of problems for others. And you know what? And I'm going to fix that in about 10 minutes. Right? That's even worse. Right? We don't do that here. <laughs> right? Why? Because the proper servant of Jesus Christ understands that spiritual problems can only be addressed with spiritual power Spiritual power does not come from Darren Pesnell, nor does it come from Ryan or Jeff or Josh. It comes only from Jesus Christ, and we are servants of him that are given the privilege to pray, right? So if you're going to be successful in this office, you have to believe in prayer and you have to practice prayer in order for you to care for others, right? So for example, it says, cast all your anxieties on him knowing that he cares for you, the, the, the inference there is that if you're going to genuinely care for another human being in a spiritual way, you can only do so having experienced the care of Christ for you. And that reality happens in a certain kind of prayer. So that's the second one. Now, what's the third one? And this one is another good one in our context. And that, of course, in verse 8, is that you have to have a realistic view of evil right? And this one, again, is not very popular in our tradition, and I'm going to change that, hopefully, right? If you're going to serve successfully, and this is true for, again, for all of us and in all of our places in our lives where we are called to serve Christ, if you're going to serve effectively, you cannot do so if you do not have a realistic view of evil. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me read from the passage, I would direct your attention to verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, right? Don't be dismissive, right? Don't be intoxicated. Be watchful. Be on the lookout for evil, he says, right? Now, don't, just, don't just acknowledge the, the philosophical possibility of evil. He says, but be on the lookout for evil. Why? Answer, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? Let me, let me just say this clearly. If, 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 you, if you are never watching for the activity of Satan, right, if that's never in your, in your experience, right, if you're not saying, look, I wonder what Satan's up to today, 
right? We like to ask this question in Bible studies or home groups sometimes. I don't know if we do this in our home groups, right? Because when I go to a home group, you know, I don't really, it's like different, you know, not really like let in in the same way, and that's okay. Maybe you can tell me, your home groups, does anyone ever say, tell me how God is at work in your life? Does anyone say that? Stephanie, does this happen in like a real home group? Yes, it does, right? How is God at work in your life? And that's a great question. I love to I love to hear about that. Tell me how God is at work in your life. What is he doing right now? It's a great question. There's another great question, though. You know what that is? Tell me how Satan is at work in your life. When's the last time you thought about that? When's the last time you asked someone that? Yeah, you know, Brother Steve, tell me, how is Satan currently working to devour you in your life? I wonder. How is he doing that? This passage says is that if you're going to be successful in this office, you have to ask that question a lot. You have to be watching, is the word used. You have to be watchful for evil. And there's two errors in the church generally in this regard. The first is to uh, basically blame everything on the devil, right? I was late to a meeting. People were offended that I was late. And then I say, you know, it's just Satan at work. They should be fine with the fact that I was late. You know, I mean, after all, there was a line at Dunkin' Donuts, you know, <laughs> didn't plan properly for how long it would take to get my order, etc. Right? There's, there's a tradition in Christian faith that says, you know, basically anytime I'm at fault, I can just blame the devil. And I don't have to take responsibility. I don't have to repent. I don't have to change. I don't have to be called to account. Right, that's one view which says the devil's responsible for everything and especially my failures. Right? That's a view of, of spiritual things that we don't embrace here, but I have seen embraced at times in the past. That's one error. The second error is to basically have the perspective, Satan's not at work at all. He's not real. He's not at work at all. We don't have to worry about him. We don't have to think about him. We don't have to do anything about anything related to him, it's all on us. If we just are on time, right, then things will be fine. If we just do what we need to do, things will be fine, right? But the Scripture really rejects both of those views, right, and that the Scripture in no way allows us to ever escape responsibility, right? As we get that out of the way. There's no way ever allows you to escape responsibility, but it does say that the spiritual person, the leader, will be watching for the activity of Satan. And I'll tell you that, you know, this is probably the area that I've seen in, in my own travels and church planting. This is the area that I have seen the most devastation by young church planters that sign up to go plant a church and they give lip service to the activity of evil in their midst. And the way, again, it shows up is, is that they don't pray, right? If you believe that Satan is at work in your life to devour you, how do you know if you actually believe that? Answer, it shows up in how you pray. Deliver us from evil, Christ taught us to pray. Lord, we pray against the activity of evil in this church. We pray against the activity of evil in my family. We pray against the activity of evil in the decisions that I'm about to make. Right? The spiritual person is watching, is on guard, uh, is concerned about this, not in a way that blames everything on the devil, but in a way that expects him to be at work and responds in prayer. 
right? You know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the ways that I've seen this show up the most, actually, um, in my own life, as I've kind of gone through various seasons, uh, some of which have been more prevalent with evil than others, one of the ways that this shows up in my life is I find myself slower to speak, right? Which is a Bible thing, I think, be slow to speak. All right, I find myself being slower to speak and quicker to pray. So when I hear about a really, really intense conflict, the young Darren would be like, oh, I can fix that. I'll just go in and I'll just tell them, just tell them to get along, right? When I hear about, you know, I, I, pastor was telling me about the women's Bible study just melting down thermonuclear and, you know, causing all these problems in the church. And, I, you know, it's just like, well, I'll just go in and fix it. No longer, right? No, <laughs> would not do that today, <laughs> right? And by the way, we have a great women's Bible study. It would nev never happen here. Um, but instead, right, the, the person who's dealt with evil long enough knows that when we see it, uh, we are slower to talk, and we are quicker to pray, and we are quicker to lean on God's power to see his will accomplished, right? So I would, just get, I would lay those exhortations uh, at your feet. If you're going to be successful in this office, right, you need to take the posture of a servant. You need to believe in prayer, and then you need to have a proper perspective on the activity of evil. Now, if you're still willing, some, some, some of them have left. Are you guys still still here? Okay. If you're still here, if you still want to do this, now why in the world would you want to do this? And uh, I almost want to lay before you this promise uh, in verse 4 uh, and then also in verse 10. So in verse 4 it says this. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Right? Why is it that you would want to give your life away for another human being? Why is it that these men would want to come and to give up three years of their lives, four years if you add the training time in, in order to serve you? Right? Why is it that anyone would want to do that? And the answer, the only proper answer is because they believe in the age to come that Jesus will honor their service. Right? And that's what the crown is all about, by the way. It's not a crown of like riches. It's a crown of honor. It's where Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And friends, I'll tell you that, you know, I've had to ask this question of myself, you know, and I'll ask it of you. What are you living for? I wonder. Like, what, what's your end game? Is it simply retirement? Right? Is it simply helping your kids be raised in such a way that they stay out of a penitentiary? We do have that goal. It's a goal we're considering, right? It's a good goal, but is that all there is, right? What, what, what are you working for? What's your, what's your end game? And what the scripture calls us to consider uh, as our motivating factor is this passage. It says, work for the age to come. And then he gives us this beautiful promise in verse 10 that says this, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen.